You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Okay, Sid Talk, it's uh, Wednesday. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> March the 3rd, 2010. Now, we're, 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 we're slipping through. Um, I was just looking at Twitter and the, the you know, when they have the trending topics, like the most talked about shit. The most talked about shit right now is giant inflatable beaver. I'd have to look into How it. How is that relevant to what just, we're doing? I was just, just what I was doing that. Mm. I'd have to look into that to see why that matters in why the world. Why do you have to look into that? Because I always look at the trending topics when I go to the Twitter page. You're one of those people? Yeah, just to see what's going down. Because it was talking about the earthquakes and the... Um, mm. The giant inflatable beaver maybe came and saved a lot of people. Something like that, I don't know. So, it's Wednesday, March the 3rd, 2010. Um, for you lot. For us, it maybe, is... Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, for us, it is as well. And this is after the show number 111. It seems like deja vu today, doesn't it? Well, let's explain. We're, we just did a podcast over um, Whippet, about Whippet, and now we're doing in the informal. We're doing two in one day because we missed last week because I was out of town. So we're doing two in one day. Which will be the focal point later on in the podcast. Just for you people out there. So uh, the movie we're looking at today is The Informant. Uh, it's the Blu-ray edition. It's a 2009 movie released on Blu-ray and DVD, Tuesday the 23rd of February, which... Is this... Well, last this week. week. Yeah, last week. Um, we looked at the Blu-ray, and it's from our friends at Warner Brothers, and you're going to give us a synopsis of this very complicated film. Um, it's not that complicated. It's not complicated to synopsize. It's a man who works for a company who um, tells hmm. the, his bosses that someone's trying to extort money out of them because it's um, it dabbles in the whole... Um, like, his company is at the forefront, uh, it's ADM, of using high fructose corn syrup and that kind of stuff to put in every kind of food. And all these big manufacturers are using it and they want to kind of like dominate in the market or whatever. And he's, and it's very delicate operation trying to get the cultures to grow, all that kind of stuff. So he tells them there's an extortionist, they're going to sabotage our science <clears throat> and if we give them $10 million. And so he sort of starts off on that. And then... They bring in the FBI because they want to put a stop to this extortion thing. And then the FBI, he kind of starts trickling ideas that maybe this company's doing some nefarious things worldwide with the price fixing and whatnot. So he gets wrapped in to an FBI investigation. And, yeah, I guess it's complicated when you dig a little deeper. But it's really just this man at the center of a shitstorm about his company and their involvement with, you know, illegal activities with price fixing and whatnot. And then it it becomes a different kind of story. We don't want to tell what it is, but yeah. it's good. <laughs> it's so, um, <laughs> so yeah, this is it's a hard synopsis because you don't want to wrap it up, you know. No, this is um, Matt Damon stars in this movie. Um, he pretty much he's almost. I mean, there's a lot of people in the movie, but Matt Damon is the focal point. Um, he's awesome. And this is a true slash told story about a true event. Yeah, and so there. Did it say yeah. at the beginning? They kind of tongue-in-cheekly at the beginning do a title card that yeah. tells you this, that... These events occurred. This whole event occurred with these people involved, and yet they've combined some characters and taken some liberty and drama with some of the more scenes. Yeah, of course. Showy. Because it's not a documentary, you know? No. Now, 
it's a fascinating movie. Mm-hmm. Um, right from the second, um, I'm completely Matt steps captured on the on the, on the stage, so to speak. Um, it's it's not the kind of movie you want to take your you want to like go and feed the kids and come back to because a lot a lot of stuff happens in a brief amount of time. Uh, right in the right in the middle. What are you saying? It's not the kind of movie you should uh, be watching and then go and answer the phone and leave oh, it yeah, running no, and because no. it something's happening all the time and there's some crucial things that you could miss really easily. Um, it's like a... I'm trying to think what kind of movie it's like. I've seen movies like this before, but I can't actually... They have my recommendations? Have you seen them? Um, <laughs> no. A Beautiful no, Mind. No, not really. I disagree. No, and the other one, no. Absolutely not. I forget what it is now. <laughs> it was so long ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Shattered Glass, I was thinking of kind of similar because mm. it you and know, I disagree with that it's a complicated well <laughs> y- no it's I, a person putting themselves in a complicated situation and you really do it's hard to focus on what the you know I mean it's done it so well it's also a comedy times- let, let's say it's also it's not 100% serious all of the time and Steven Soderbergh the director put this amazing music in place the mm-hmm. entire time which actually changes the mood if if you put different music to this movie oh, it would be definitely. a totally different movie without changing anything if you just change the music to some more menacing because the music he, play, he uses in the movie is like sometimes it's like umpa lumpa music sometimes old time show tune music sometimes but then if you just took that music out and put in some spy kind of dramatic music you wouldn't need to, and it would take a whole different tone. But the music sometimes just makes it feel kind of farcical. What? Oh, I disagree with the feeling of it. I don't think it's comedy or funny at all. I think it's. I thought just, it was hilarious. In I think I didn't think it was hilarious at all. I felt like the music, because it's a confusing situation, and as you go through it, you it's unveiled to you kind of where some things aren't what they seem. Well, I thought it was hilarious. So the music is just, to me, put on top because these are moments when you're not sure how to... How not to the music it. I'm getting at. I'm, say, I'm saying some of the lines and situations mm. that Matt Damon... They have you... I want to, like, do this on my head, slap my head. Like, it's like... Come on, like, you're... Because let's just say, without giving anything away, the guy's... You know, he's a scientist. Mm-hmm. So he's not an idiot. No, no. Yet, he's quite naive yes. in the grand scheme of things, how business works. Um, so some of the things he comes out with, you cannot... I, I just couldn't believe it. And it's like, when he does get involved with the FBI, and they give him... They wire him up mm-hmm. and give him take. He actually thinks he's James Bond for a small Something, moment. Something, yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm cool. I, I, but I don't find it comedy at all. There's some funny moments. I've yeah, got to say this. I, don't, I mean, I think it's kind of saying I think it it's wrong, a black comedy. But it's not like yucking it up comedy at all. It's not whipping. It. It's funny because you're uncomfortable about this guy's perception But it's really funny, like. I think you and I just saw it. So, I mean, I was uncomfortable for him. And I'd be like, oh my God, what are you thinking when you just said that? Oh my God. But it wasn't like, ah, ha, 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 hysterical. No, that's not the type of comedy I'm talking yeah. about. It's like a black comedy. It's like... It's really intricate. It's an intricate story of, 
you know, mm-hmm. like almost like spy, spying. Um, no, well, it's I, called the informant. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's also got this weird kind of off kilter to it because of this guy. Like this yeah. guy is. You're ultimately telling his story, so you know. And this guy's pretty unique. He's not like any other informant get story you've ever seen. No, because it, it's without giving stuff away. I'd, I'd just say he's naive. I don't think he understands the the levity of the entire thing. It's it, he knows you mean the gravity. Yeah, he knows that there's some. Um, no, he doesn't really know uh, that he doesn't even know the importance behind it. He just sees it just, as black and white. Like he's just going through. Yeah, and it's and what it turns out to be. It, that's why I say it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It, it all. I don't know. You you could not predict where it went unless you know the story, right? And I didn't know anything about the story, so no. And I don't know how much liberty has been taken. It's hard to talk about because you. De- I don't want. I am glad I didn't know anything, so I just was along for the ride, yeah. soaking up Matt Damon, who I think is awesome, absolutely awesome. And in this movie in particular, you know, incredible because to me, movie, incredible t- take takes place at the like end of the eighties. Into the 90s, into the 2000s. It's nine, 91 is when we start. I thought it started in 87 and then went all the way up to 2002. I don't think so. I thought it was 91 or something. No, 87 to 2002 because the main part of it went from 91 to 95. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and you see him right at the beginning when he's not before. Yeah. So it's a big span of time and obviously it's period... Like done, you know. You there's can... like um, corporate intrigue a little bit. There's personal crisis. There is kind of fumbling of information. Say there's an investigation, and then this is going on. It's big corporate secrecy and big corporate deals. It kind of shines a light on. First of all, you you're totally in the time period, and you forget in the '90s. If you notice, Cell one phone. thing knows to me: people are taking notes all the time with the pen and paper. Yeah. Not many computers, even though there were computers. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, these days, I guess I don't think of people sitting down taking notes. They might pull out their laptop, they might pull out their um, iPhone or some other thing to type in something, you know. So it really brings you to the time. And then to realize, in the middle of all this drama that's happening between a big company and then there's investigations, the miscommunication, the kind of fumbling around trying to build a case and it's like it's a farce almost except that it's really serious and you feel like nobody's really getting their shit together and this guy is like the only thread holding it together and then and he's not even he's not that exactly so it's really it's really well done like it's beautifully edited yeah it's it's put together in a way that i am there are scenes when i'm like oh God, what is he going to say? What's and I was going to say, next? interestingly and enough, I was hooked. This isn't up for an Oscar, but it's the kind of movie I would see being up for an Oscar. I think uh, Matt Damon's performance Definitely. is really good. Like, absolutely brilliant. Because I work in an environment where there are lots of middle-aged um, men who have come to think they have some entitlement because they've been around and they're entitled to this and they talk all about salaries and retirements and how much they're not getting and they're getting screwed out of this and that and, you know, 
blah, 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 and they all have their little khaki pants and their tucked-in shirts and their little bellies hanging over and the hairdo that's so <laughs> middle-aged. Yeah, I mean, that's the 90s version, but there's a modern version as well. And that idea that, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but when he's playing it, and you, it, it, we both commented, right, he looks sees. like my brother. He's if you see the Flanders. cover of the movie, it instantly <laughs> it doesn't look like the Matt Damon you used to. I mean, you know it's Matt Damon. But yeah, of course. He's but he's brilliant. He put, there are moments when he's he's so in it. I think he's in it the entire time. Oh, yeah. I don't think he ever breaks. You, I, in fact, I forgot. It was not like where I was going. Oh, Matt Damon is. I was just with this character most of the time. It's like um, he's really good, and it's a really interesting character. And I can understand why they wanted to make this movie. I don't know if the real guy is like that, but mm. you, he's a psychologist's best um, case. He's good, yeah. You know, you'd want to study this guy because who knows where he's coming from half the time. Like, he's, he's from one thing, he's from another thing. He's not got it... I don't think he's got it all clear in his own mind what's going on. Exactly. He's just fumbling along and adapting to the situation the entire time. Like, something happens, he changes to it, and, you know, it's it's... It's I really, I'm trying not to give stuff yeah, exactly. away. <laughs> um, I say the less told about the story, the better, except that it's high quality. And is an info. Everyone's excellent. The story is really good. It's obviously taken from real life and then adapted to kind of ex- highlight a person in the world and how they can... I don't know. You have to see it to... Almost you know. feels like the kind of movie that would actually be really good as a stage play. Yeah. Also, because, you know, while this movie does globetrot, it doesn't necessarily have to, because no. all, all it is is different uh, conference, conference rooms, rooms in different countries. rooms and hotel so, rooms. And... you know, as a stage play, it would work, because you just All you'd need have to do is move the back wall and move it... And move it have a different yeah. um, view out the window. Because he is the highlight of basically every scene there's loads of close-ups there's loads of i mean it's a highly dialogue heavy reaction heavy movie you know face body language i mean i know acting is but you feel i'm watching him so close because you start understanding there's something going on here with i don't another thing i also say it without i know without spoiling another thing i found really interesting about this film is it was um, filmed on these new Red One cameras, which are like the ultra-high-def cameras um, by Steven Soderbergh. And um, even though it was filmed on these ultra-high-def Red One cameras, it had the feeling of the 90s. Like, the imperfections of how... It's the way. It was basically the way whoever did the set design and stuff lit the place. It mm-hmm. was overblown, because like, they were... Always in offices with big windows with what do you call them slap blinds that were common that well still common now yeah, and yeah. they're still left over, but everything had this overblown look, you know. And obviously the sets were decked out to look like it's funny how highly mundane. As even well. from the nineties to the two thousands, things looked different though. But um, even though it, even though it was filmed with these ultra high def cameras, I felt like it was taking place then, like I was seeing an older movie, like a movie from the nineties. You know, like a it was Wall Street from the nineties, mm-hmm. something like that. I'd like I a, I'd like a grittier feel, you know. Um, and I lo- loved how it looked. And I think the main thing that you will notice how it looked is overblown whites. Like sometimes every I mean, window that 
everything's kind of lit artificially and then non-artificially because you know it's fluorescent um, lights fluorescent but with light coming through the windows and sometimes you can't see people if they stood in front of a window it's an interesting look and it, it it carries on throughout the entire film I was thinking they were using it at the beginning to convey something and then it would slow, slowly go darker but no they were just using that look but that was just something I noticed so um, let's go into the cast of this movie so we've got Matt Damon as Matt Whittaker who I, the real guys call Matt Whittaker I assume I don't know Never, I didn't look at <clears> that yeah he's literally the I mean there's some good people in this movie a lot of good people yep. in this movie but it's Matt Damon's movie I mean he's just I don't know. I, I mean, I love Matt Damon. I, I love Goodwill Hunting. The Bond movies are Bond movie, incredible. Bond movies are awesome. Um, they're doing a new Bond movie, by the way. With really? Matt, with Matt Damon. Awesome. Um, I really love the Bond movies. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I've not seen him in anything where I've disliked him. Good Shepherd was fantastic. Oh yeah, the Good Absolutely Shepherd. There's fantastic. another one, which I would have a, as a recommendation to this film. Really, you know, it's. Um, the Good Shepherd. It's he's really complicated. Good. The the plot is and his character is in the middle. He doesn't fit, but he he's on top yeah, of it. Yeah, it's very and... similar in a way. I mean, it's not, it's not, but it it the the pacing and the way he plays out the character is similar. Um, I'm trying to think of other movies with him in, and there there have been quite a few, but for some reason Jason Bourne just yeah. sticks right out. Um, then we've got um, Scott Horse Bakula. Whisperer or something like that. No, not Horse Whisperer. No. Scott Bakula as Brian Shepard, who's the head FBI agent. Now, Scott Bakula, you'll know from Quantum Leap, I guess. Is that what he's from? Quantum Leap. <laughs> yes. And I kept thinking of that. Like, every scene. Like, um, the guy's going to come out of a doorway. So, you know the guy who he always talks to? Yeah, the older guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now he's, uh, you know, I've not seen him since Quantum Leap. I don't feel like I have. I think we've seen him in a few things, but... But he's great in this movie. And then the guy who plays alongside him. Who all the entire movie? I kept thinking to myself, I've seen this guy before, but I'm not entirely sure who he is. And is Joe McHale as FBI Special Agent Bob Herndon, and he's actually the guy from Talk Soup on the E Channel. And I did know that because I, you said mm-hmm. I think you didn't have anybody, you, you hadn't figured it out. And I said, is it the guy from the E Channel? Now I've never thought of him as anything apart he's from a really obnoxious, obnoxious, yeah, pretentious. Uh, but he was good. But. He's so if if he is like the guy on the E Channel in real life, he so reined himself in. <laughs> yeah, because he's real conservative and very. I don't know. It's they both were really good. Scott Bakula and he both. I mean, I was everybody was good. There's not anybody that we're gonna mention, and there was no one in the movie who. No, there's nobody. The only who, one might have been the one mother's brother, who played the father of the corporate guy. And he kind of mumbled, and you didn't really understand him, but it was kind of a token little walk-on thing. Are you thing. saying there's no Zoe Bell in here? There's no Zoe Bell. All there's right. no Eve. <laughs> yeah, so next we've got um, Ginger. That is in direct reference to the podcast we did a few days ago, or just a few minutes ago. Melanie Linsky plays Ginger Whitaker, who is uh, Matt Damon's wife, who I feel like I'd seen in Millions of Things, and then when I looked, I'd not really seen her in, but, but I really liked her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's kind of like... She's kind of like loyal to him, but she, in a sweet she way, doesn't really understand him either. Like it, yeah. It's a real difficult thing to uh, talk about without, because I mean, it's not one. Of, it's not like I can say one thing and ruin this entire movie for you. Because there's a lot to it. 
but there is a certain thing that could sure. ruin it, right? Um, and then we've got, uh, well, you added a couple. Clancy Brown as... <laughs> He's one of the lawyers for the yeah, corporation. Yeah. And you will, to me, the two people that I added, Clancy Brown and Thomas Wilson, it's because I have this thing called anonymous famous people. People that you know you've seen over and over and over. And they're famous in, the, in your mind. They're floating around because you're like, I know I've seen that guy so many times. But you don't know their name off the top of your head. You, they've never really done a starring role or whatever. Well, this Clancy Brown has been in so many movies. Yeah, you'll recognize him immediately. You will. He's, but he's re- and these two guys aren't always great. The guy who plays Biff, uh, Thomas Wilson from Back to the Future movies, not great, right? I but don't this- think I've ever seen him as anything but Biff. Right, but in this, they're both they both play like corporate lawyer type guys, real serious, middle age, kind of pricks, really, because they're real institutionalized in this corporation, in this environment, and they're awesome. I mean, really good, and they both had a lot to say and a lot to do, and I felt like everybody kind of picked up a bit in this movie. I don't know if it's the Damon thing or the Soderbergh or what it is, but everybody was good. Right. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody. And, and it felt really serious and and like they all really understood the people they were playing. And I know that's what an actor's job is. But still sometimes, as we have noted pri- previously, it doesn't always work. But I thought they were really good. So this is directed by Steven Soderbergh, who when I looked back at Steven Soderbergh's you know, stuff they'd made, I thought there was going to be hundreds of them, but there really is not. I mean, no. he did the Ocean's 11, Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13, Solaris, which I really enjoyed, which was, is kind of almost, we one of the first ones we ever reviewed, written reviews, um, George Clooney uh, in space. It was kind of like 2001 A Space Odyssey. It almost had that kind of... I actually don't have any recollection of it whatsoever. I, I do, and I really it enjoyed again. it. And it was, um, I had that... Like 2001 A Space Odyssey, that alone kind of, like alien almost, that weird 70s vibe to it. Um, and then he also did Traffic, which he won an Academy Award for, which was really amazing and I'd like to see again. Uh, and Full Frontal, which was a smaller movie that we saw. Semi-pretentious, but I like one of those... Pu- yeah, funny enough, he also did a movie which I watched on Netflix Instant Q while you was away called The Girlfriend Experience. Which I can't recommend, because it's one of his... Um, Crappy? Experimental movies, mm-hmm. let's say. About a high-class hooker. Um, and what it is, is is it's like... It's really short, actually. It's like 70 minutes. It's like 70 minutes fly on the wall of a high-class hooker's day-to-day stuff. Um, which sounds interesting. I mean, it's not a documentary, it's acted. Um, but what I found was it was 70 minutes of the parts of her life that I wasn't interested in. There's some other... I'm not talking about why to see a screwing, but I'm talking about... Because that's not what it's about. I'm talking about... It wasn't particularly interesting, the passage of time they chose to... He chose to cover. And he, it was an experimental, handheld... Hmm. It was a little bit... Up its own ass, let me say. <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought Full Frontal was as well. Yes. It's in a similar vein. If, you know, like the Ocean... There's the Ocean series. And then there's Full Frontal and the Girlfriend Experience. Very different. I do like that Steven Soderbergh does different stuff. But I prefer 
this kind of movie, the informant, yeah. you know. Um, so Blu-ray extras on this disc. <laughs> and this, when we said Whip It didn't have many extras. Um, Pretty much the same. This has even less. Um, it has a commentary. By, there you uh, go. That's more. Steven, Sp- Steven Soderbergh and screenwriter Scott Z. Burns. And some deleted scenes. And a digital copy on a second disc. And that's your lot. And I'm glad they didn't put a lot of those deleted scenes in because it was revealing something that you don't want to be revealed. Yeah. Even little bits and pieces, so... You can understand why yep. those ones were took out. Um, I would I would have liked a behind-the-scenes making of on this. I, I wanted to see the set designs and set design and stuff. Um, Maybe they'll talk about it if you listen to yeah, the Yeah, but I, ta- I, want, I always want to see that sort of stuff. I want to see the costume stuff. In this movie in particular, because... I thought that they got it... I mean, we understand the 90s. Of course. I thought they got it 100% spot on. You know, corporate 90s in America. Yeah. Um, the sets, I don't know, they could have just used real offices for all I know, but I get the feeling that was the soundstage the entire thing. But we'll, we'll not know. We'll never know. So, um, in conclusion, again, on I mean, we just said it on Whip It, this, this one is one to totally to see. Oh, totally. Um, I know it's Oscars next week. Um, I don't know why this one isn't up. I mean, there's. I know what's up for Oscars, and this totally fits in there to me. I don't know why this wouldn't be. Was it past the time? No, it was a 2009 movie, which is what you have to be to be in the Oscars, right? I guess there is a cutoff date. I don't know if it's December or whatever, but yeah, it's really good. Mm. Yeah, like high quality feels like a Oscar type of movie, but didn't get any. You know, Matt Damon should have uh, had a nod there. So, um. I say, recommended. Whip it. Oh, no, wrong movie. What do you say? (laughs) I say definitely. I think it's, because I was completely sucked into this, and it doesn't even feel like one big story, and every little turn, every scene, and everything that was about to happen, my mind was on the edge of its seat. Like, my God, what is he going to say? What is he going to do? What's going to happen next? And it's not even that, it's not even that riveting. It's all... It's hard to explain why. There's literally some unbelievable scenes where you will, <laughs> like I said, um, you will bang it yourself on the head or you will just, just well, your mouth. Well, see, I will... don't find it that unbelievable. That's no, not unbelievable. In... I'm talking about, like, how, what this character does. Yeah. This character is in some other place. His perception of things is a little askew. Yeah. And you will be sat there going... And Matt Damon Did portrays that really it. In a way that is, it keeps you not knowing for sure what the, I don't, ugh. Yeah, we want to try it. You guys all go watch it, and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> I was going to say, this might, might seem like the most vague review ever. Exactly. But, but this really is one you should see and not um, have us tell you about Yeah, it. yeah. Uh, so, thank you to Warner for providing us with the review. And check out the written review of this movie tomorrow, and the written review of Whip It. Today. <laughs> I don't know. Tomorrow. Yeah, it's Wednesday, right? No. <laughs> Today. Uh, You're posting this on Wednesday. Yeah, so, so. that's yeah, when... Yeah. yeah, so check out the written review of this on Thursday. Check out the written review of Whip It. Yesterday. To- yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next week will be good, because we'll be back to normal. So, um, movie recommendations for this week. I wanted to recommend, and I've recommended this movie before, but it is... Correct. Um, definitely... 
fits in with the style or with the kind of story of this movie and that was a true one too Shattered Glass which is um, you know Darth Vader mm. and Owning Mahoney Hayden Christensen Owning Mahoney with your guy Philip Seymour Hoffman mm-hmm. you know somebody who doesn't see you know, yeah kind of... not that one wasn't true though I was thinking more of a oh right right a character who is kind of not even aware of what's go- he has a different idea of what's really going on in his own mind but still kind of bumbles his way through a, a, a very serious situation um, so Shattered Glass which is Hayden Christensen and Michael Clayton's another one um, which is a different tone but it's still an interesting look at a you know corporate mm-hmm. America I guess And my recommendations are A Beautiful Mind because it is beautifully I think it's one of those high quality high quality movies with someone at the heart of it and you're never quite sure about this person's perception and understanding of the world. It just seems like he's outside of things and everything's happening around and he doesn't quite get can't quite function properly or whatever. And it's really good. Beautiful mind. And the other one is Iris, which is, you know, the same kind of thing. I mean, kind of an internal yeah. a person from the inside and on the outside. Both of them, same kind of thing to me. Like, how do some people get through life when inside of their minds might be different than what's going on on the outside? I think we, I think we all... Uh... Yeah. Things are different inside of our minds than things really are. Everybody. Yeah, and when you examine it, like in these movies, but, but this is a it high... points out to you, like, how do yeah. we, any of us even get by? Even function, yeah. <laughs> how does the world... I know a lot of bad shit happens in this world. It's very... It's constant. But at the same time, we all kind of sort of keep it all held together. It doesn't all just... No. You know. <laughs> so, um... Contests, see the site for details. We've got a few things you can win this week. Uh, next week's uh, review, which will be on Sunday. Which Another one already? Which isn't very long, boy, <laughs> is it? It's only three days. Um, oh, crap. Will yeah, be um, The Box, starring Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. On Blu-ray disc. Um, so, yeah, next week will be The Box. Or in a few days' time. Three days. <laughs> Four days? Three days. I don't know. Um, we'll games and A-Scully stuff I haven't got anything because I only just told you what I was doing two days ago so if you listen to number 110 you heard all of his stuff and for now you're going to hear my stuff because and, uh, I went on a trip what's for dinner oh what's for dinner well oh it's, it's the same it's the same oh, no, day as it was yesterday. no Wednesday it's peanut butter sandwich <laughs> and uh, orange juice Wednesday I'll be at work <laughs> so you will probably make yourself <laughs> I don't know a okay. frozen veggie burger and some fries yeah. And I will probably have something from my favorite Mexican restaurant, which leads me to the next section, which is all mine, all about traveling. I went on vacation, kind of vacation. That's where I'll start. I went to visit my mother for 10 days. She happens to live in Mexico during the winter. And it was it's like a vacation. You know, I guess people perceive it that way because, oh, you're going to Mexico. And the first thing people think is, oh, Cancun or something like that. It was like party party. But not at all. For me, it was, I'm going to visit my mother, who's told me about Mexico now for seven years. She's in love with the place. She lives in kind of a smallish area. It's called Busarias. It's a little bit northwest of Puerto Vallarta, right on the beach. I like how you say that. 
Puerto Vallarta. That's how you say Because I'd say um, Puerto Vallarta or something. Yeah, no. Well, you gotta honor the language. You know what I'm saying? Puerto Vallarta. And if we all know Puerto Vallarta from The Love Boat, which is funny because... Oh, is that she, where it's from? Well, I mean, in The Love Boat, they were always docking in Puerto Vallarta. Oh, I never people can do. Oh, my God. But that's part of the story because she lives kind of across the bay from there. And every day, big, massive cruise ship going right past her house in the distance, a couple miles away, floating in. It docks for the day in Puerto Vallarta. Everybody gets off and does a little tourist thing. And then in the evening, you see the big cruise ship riding off into the sunset. So you basically saw the love boat. (laughs) Well, no, it wasn't that boat, but bigger (laughs) than that. These are massive because we went into Puerto Vallarta. And when you get off the bus, which is a whole other story, there's the big cruise ship right right there next to you. It's pretty awesome. So that was my purpose for going there. And also, as a bonus, she does live on the beach. I mean, I don't mean she's homeless and she lives, like, sleeping on the sand. I mean, her house that they rent, you walk out the back porch, there's a big, like, tile-covered porch, and there is the ocean. Like, about 20 feet away. There's... We know what the ocean is like. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like waves. I mean, I don't live around the ocean. I've seen it a few times in my life, but it was like, it's right there. It was really awesome. When you say it was dirty and you don't want to swim in it. No, I don't think it was dirty. It's just sand. But I'm not an ocean fan. See, this is the thing that when I have a different perception in my mind when I go to this place, and that's kind of the main thing is I don't go there for the sun and the sand and... I don't enjoy it that much being in the sun. I don't enjoy walking on the beach that much. It's okay. I think people are brainwashed to think it's like this... Um, Better than what they... Yes, do. exactly. That it elevates their life in some way and they can leave all their cares and worries behind and your toes in the sand like erases all of the shit that's going on in your life. But it doesn't. If you're not happy... Like, here in your house or at your job, in your mind, going to the beach for 10 days isn't going to fix it. So get over it. So when I tell people, like, oh, I, I love it. It's beautiful. It's For it's some great, people, it's like a tonic. It is a tonic, exactly. It's intoxicating. And I think that's the way it is for my mom and her friend, man, friend, boyfriend, whatever. Well, you know, my mom's 68 and he's 75. So whatever you want to call him. Boyfriend. Companion. <laughs> we'll call him a companion. <laughs> and I think they've had, you know, rough and tumble lives into them. And I use this word, and it's completely appropriate, even though it sounds obnoxious. But it's, you're unplugged when you're there. There's no computer. There's no television. We didn't have a radio. We could listen to the radio, but I just was unaware of anything else happening in the world. Some people have computers and stuff, obviously. It's not... On another planet or anything, but they don't have. And uh, we could go to the Internet Cafe, and I sent you a couple of emails and stuff. But you're just... The, I think they're they're in love with it because when you go there, not, almost nothing is familiar. It is different. Your way, you're not in the fate. Your kids aren't in your face. The problems aren't in your face. Business problems aren't in your face. You don't have to worry about your... You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. why they love it. To me, my life... Goes wherever I go. You know, I take in my mind anything that is unpleasant wherever I go. It doesn't erase from my mind just because I'm looking at a sunset over the ocean. And that doesn't mean it's bad there. It means I kind of figured out 
when I'm telling them, for example, like, yeah, it's, it, he said one dime, oh, tomorrow you're not going to see this sunset when you go home back to Missouri. And I said, <laughs> Jack. He's like, oh, you're not going to see this tomorrow when you're at your house. I'm like, I'll be looking at the same, same sunset. Sun. It'll be over my backyard, but I love it just the same. I mean, it's it's the same to me. I'm not intoxicated by it. I think it's lovely. But to me, it's like I went to see where my mom lives and all these wonderful things that she loves. And I'm afraid I'm a little more deadpan than her. My mom is like this. Oh, my God. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, my God. Did you see that tree? Did you see that flower? It's gorgeous. She's like that that all the time. Me, I think it's inside because I think to myself, oh, I got to get a picture of that. Oh, I got to take a picture of that. So I came home with 1,200 pictures. 1,200 pictures. 1,200 photos and some videos and whatnot, which I'll post at a different time. But... The main things, it's really hard to to briefly describe 10 days when you've gone to a different country. But the three main things about it, to me, was the one thing I've already said. That it's, it's not an escape for me. I feel the same when I'm sitting on a bus on the side of a mountain that's rattly and shaky. And some dude standing in the back singing with the guitar expecting you then to give him some coins or whatever. And I'm looking out the window and listening to my mom talk about something as I do sitting here right now. Mm. I just experience it for what it is. I don't, you know, maybe I'm just privileged that my life, I take it all as it comes, you know. Nothing really gets me down. It used to, but doesn't anymore. So I don't need something to, like, inject me with a temporary, like, reprieve from my horrible, boring life existence. You know what I mean? So well, are you saying that that's how your mother thinks it? I think that they have both, they perceive their lives as being a lot heavier, and they've had dark things and bad things and traumas and dramas, but they then they think at this age, oh, we can get hmm. away from it all. And that's fine. It is fine. It's just that when I then try to express that I'm not as enthusiastic, right? they, and even people at get work... Offended. Well, even people at work, they're just like, oh, that's so awesome. Was it fantastic? Oh, my God, the beach. I'm so jealous. I'm like, that's cool, but it's not, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but I just think maybe a lot of people feel the same way as I do. So when you go to the beach or you go on some big vacation and you feel a little bit flatter than everyone else inside, maybe it's because you're happier than you thought you were in your own life. Yeah, possible. And so when you go somewhere new, it's just... What that's, it is. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. And I love, I mean, I love traveling. So I'll, that's my next thing. Traveling. So to get there, I had to take two planes. Um, I had to drive to a city. I stayed overnight in the hotel. Left my car there for 10 days. Get on one plane at 6 a.m. Fly to Phoenix. Wait an hour and a half or two hours. Get on another plane. Fly. And then when I get there, get off the plane. And going to another country is obviously different than just flying domestically, right? You, When you're flying domestically, you get to the airport. I only took one bag, which you thought I couldn't fit all my stuff in, but I did. I wouldn't have been able to fit my stuff in. And it only weighed about 10 pounds. I decided I'm only taking, like, a couple shirts, pair of pants, a couple underwear. That's it, because my mother lives there. It's like I don't need to take shampoo and deodorant or any of that. She had everything, you know what I mean? So I didn't. I had that privilege, at least. So I have my carry-on bag, and that's it. Didn't have to check any luggage. But at the airport, of course, you take off your shoes, you take off your jacket. I had to take off my belt everywhere I went. And if anyone else doesn't know, I've lost about 40 pounds. And so the pants that I wear, because I refuse to buy new ones. How do they fall down when you take the belt? They will fall down. I had to hold my pants full. I'm like walking (laughs) through the thing. I'm holding my thing. And you've taken off your jacket, and, you know, 
I had to take my bread out of my hair and everything, which isn't bad. I mean, I love the airport. I love doing all of that. But this is also, remember, at 5 in the morning because the flight was at 6. So that's what you do when you're going to a domestic city. Then you get to the domestic city, and all of a sudden, when you go to the um, gate where you're going to be getting on a plane to go to a different country... You've got to get a particular stamp on your thing. You've got to make sure... And all these people had to go get their checked luggage and bring it with them and run it through another thing. And so it's just a different dynamic, you know? Because then it dawns on you. I'm actually leaving, even though I'm only going... I'm on the same continent, basically. Oh, yeah. I'm still going to a whole different country. Got to have your documents. You got to get this filled out. When you're on the plane, you're supposed to fill out a document. And then you got to keep half of it with you. Correct. Or they won't let you back in the country. All that kind of I stuff. I had all that stuff. Yeah. And... I've been to Dominican Republic where we had kind of a similar thing, but I think it was just the whirlwind then, and I didn't really think about it. This time I was observing people. Some people bring, like, three kids and an old person and, like, (laughs) ten bags. And get this. Just like any old person. You just find one. There's there's the families that have, like, two kids in a stroller and a kid on the hip and some old grandma hanging around with them. It was just like, why are you going anywhere? It looks like such a pain in your ass, right? But, I mean, to me it's funny because I'm watching with my headphones on listening to some of the music and observing people struggling and hating it in the airport, which I find hysterical because I love the airport. It's fascinating to me. Um, So I get... Getting on the plane, the first plane, uh, there were three of us in the row, but I got, went online beforehand and picked my seat every time. So I had all window seats, which is awesome. And the first time, you know, there were three of us, and that was, it was fine, because I just kind of leaned over and looked out the window and took some pictures and listened to my, I watched uh, you put on my Zoom for me some Priceless Antique Roadshow and EastEnders, and so I watched those. That was awesome. Then we get to Mexico, and... Get off. Everybody has to get all their luggage. And then you go to this line. And all of a sudden, there's this, like, river of people through this big, massive room in the bottom of the airport going through customs. Maybe 200 people. Yep. Because three planes came in about the same time. So all of us are going through customs. And you don't just go through again. You have to take off your shoes again. And every bag that you've that these people have just brought off the luggage carrier, and some of them have big, massive bags, three or four, some people have like five big bags with them, that you have to stand there and feed each one of your bags through another x-ray machine. And they had one aisle open for all the people. And then when you get done with that, when I finally made it up there, I was in line for maybe an hour. And the people behind me, the woman was really pissed. And she was, like, barking at the guy that she was with really bad. They were really tired or something. And they were, like, arguing. And I thought that was really funny. I think some people have five bags because they get, have a couple of extra old people in it, too. <laughs> maybe they stuff their children in there. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I didn't tell you. On that flight. You know how we always complain about the dog barking in the back? Yep. There was a dog in the plane. There were two dogs on the plane. There was one Under, in the underneath, yeah. and we could hear... Burr, 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 burr. Yep. Maybe every few minutes, right? Again, I Poor put my dog. headphones in. But the, yes. And then the other dog, a woman had in her bag under her seat. Can you even do that? Apparently, she did. And you'd hear... Burr, 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 and she'd go, oh, baby, baby. Shh, shh, baby, baby. They knew she had it. But, I mean, how cruel is that? I, this little tiny dog. I didn't even dog. think you could take... She put the dog dogs. in the bag, as long as you can get it under your seat. No, I mean, like, because of the rabies and all that kind of stuff, and they have did. to... 
That's she, weird. Because I thought you had to quarantine dogs for months. And... Uh, maybe not to go just to Mexico. You know what I mean? Oh, but I mean, there, there were at least those two dogs. So that was one thing. And I was just like, oh, thank God for my Zoom. Because I'm not going to sit here and, first of all, listen to the woman talk to her dog like it's a baby. Oh, baby, baby, it's okay, it's okay. Well, so she that was she sat next to you? No, she was like two oh, rows right. back and over to the side. And there were loads of children on every flight. Oh, yeah. You know, people, come on. Stop having children. You can have all the children you want. Why do you have to take them everywhere? Just be a grown-up and leave them with somebody. Lock them up. Leave them with somebody. Leave the old person with the children (laughs) at home. (laughs) I'm not trying to penalize you for having children, but do you know what a pain in the ass it is to sit on a plane when you don't have children and listen to them for two and a half hours? Crying, whining, talking. The little talking and laughing I can handle because it's kind of cute and funny. The crying and the parent who's trying to shut the kid up—it's like you asked for it, you know. So that was one of the, that's one thing I don't like about traveling is parents and crying children. I feel bad for the children. I felt bad for the dogs. So just leave them at home next time. Yep. But anyway, get there, go through customs, and at the end of the customs thing, when you X-ray everything again, there's a woman sitting there, and she's like, "Push the button, push the button, por favor, push the button, por favor," and she's sitting there and she's ripping your little paper in half that you've just filled out and she gives you the other half of it to keep with you and all this and you just press a button there's like this little mechanism on this little desk where she's sitting and up above there's like this see-through thing and when you push the button half of it will light up green or half of it will light up red if it lights up red she tells you to move over to the side and they're going to search you and your bags well it's a random it's a random check generous very random i guess random and uh mine was green so after sitting in line at this point for about an hour and 15 minutes, got through. Then immediately, as you're walking, I call it the gauntlet. They're everywhere in Mexico, and they are in European cities and everywhere. It's like people selling you stuff. Oh, awful. So as soon as you that. get going through the airport, do you need a taxi, ma'am? Of course, with Spanish and Mexican accent. But I don't have that properly down. And it's like two feet and another one and two and they step right in front of you where are you going where are you going and like, no, thank you. No. exactly doesn't matter what no this was inside the airport this right. wasn't even outside so right. that was kind of interesting so I get through and all of a sudden I hear Sandy Sandy <laughs> I see my mom <laughs> like in the distance waving her hand and I get there and I hugged her and everything I'm like I was thinking to myself and this is a really weird thing to think because I've looked at my mother my whole life but in a sea of people I actually thought this when I was going, will I, will I recognize my mom? Like, will I know, will they know what I mean? Like, you think you would recognize Brad Pitt if he walked past you on the street, but would you really? And I was thinking there's going to be hundreds of people there, and there were, but thankfully she was yelling really loud, (laughs) waving her hand, and uh, then we immediately get on a bus, my first bus ride in Mexico, and it was awesome. I love riding the bus. They have an awesome system. It's not got times or anything, I don't think. You just have to know where to go. You stand on the side of the street. They have written on their windows in like, you know, that's that soap stuff that they use at car dealerships or whatever it is. Yeah, some yeah. kind of paint. They just have it kind of scribbled on the windows. Some of them have a little card, but most of them have written on. And you just have to eyeball it real quick to see if you, one of your destinations is on there. And you can wave them down or they'll stop at certain stops. Get on the bus. And I figured out the money exchange pretty quickly. At the time, it's between like eleven eighty and thirteen pesos per dollar, so you kind of work it out. It's not too difficult. And um, then you're on the bus, and we're talking, and she's excited, and I'm excited, you know. And how was your flight? And then a guy gets on, and I noticed he didn't pay to get on. He just went kind of back to about two thirds of the bus, 
and he had a guitar in his hand, and then you hear starts to play. Why don't they have to pay? And he starts singing yeah. because he sings. Yeah, I know. And, you and give as him he money. walks back up, you give him money, and then he pays. Oh, you see. So then, the driver has an agreement with him in some way. Some of them do, but you know, some buses, and we had some of the same drivers over and over because we took the bus everywhere we went, and. I think there's a thing. I mean, some people you could tell. Like an unwritten pe- rule. Some of the local people were irritated by it. Some people didn't. The tourists were, ir- you know, it was like a mixed bag. Um, so I think some drivers, these singer performers, know they're not going to let me on. And some of the drivers didn't seem to actually mind. Um, to to interrupt here. The worst uh, when I went to Paris, the uh, metro, which is the underground subway in Paris. Every single car you get in, there is a musician wanting no, I, money from Exactly. You. Either they just come and stand right next to you and start singing a cappella. And then or, they just put their hand or out. Or they have a banjo, <laughs> a violin, something. Somebody, and sometimes, on one journey, which might only be ten minutes from one place to another, like five or six <laughs> of them come through the car. So if you give money to the, all of them, you would be. And I have, you know, I have no problem with this. I have no problem with it at all. I don't mind street performers at all. I think, you know what... A person standing on a bus or different buses all day singing and maybe making two bucks per, you know, uh, journey or back and forth or whatever at a time, maybe making, who knows, $50, $100 a day, could be, who knows. It's no different to me than walking into a clothing store and having five stupid salespeople come up to me begging me to buy something. Mm. It's exactly the same to me, except the person on the bus has a skill. They're singing, and yeah. we didn't run into any bad ones. There were some really good ones. In fact, one of them one day sang, and he was really into it. And um, my mom was like, oh, he's good. Oh, he's good. Oh, I like this guy. Oh, I like this guy. She gets really excited. And then he pulls out this CD, and he's like... Is that that one spend. I did feel? That is the one that my mom bought. It was five pesos, which isn't even 50 cents, or it's about 50 cents. He even had a website, that guy. Went His and website, yeah. and I thought, you know, I mean, she didn't have any way to rip it off or anything to let's put it on her Zoom, so I said I'll take it with me. But I don't mind that at all. And I, you could tell some people thought it was really obnoxious. A lot of American, Canadian, and European tourists and snowbirds, as they're called, you know, kind of middle-aged or older, wealthier people who go there to live in right. different condos and stuff, they're really hateful and really snotty to people. Because everywhere you go, every street you walk down, whether it's in Puerto Vallarta or in the Bucerías where she lives, whether it's a poor street or... In fact, the poorer neighborhoods where we did a lot of walking around, people don't bother you. It's downtown where you're getting to where tourists are and businesses are, where all of a sudden you got somebody walking up to sell you a bag and somebody Best walking place up. for them to go. Some people walk around with a bunch of skewers of shrimp or whatever, and they're wanting to sell you shit all the time. It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, you just say, you'd be polite and say, no, thank you. Or maybe you do want it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with buying. If you feel like you're getting ripped off, don't buy it. You know what I mean? It don't oh, yeah. don't assume that because someone's walking up to you with a bunch of little beaded handbags that they made it themselves. Because what you find out is there are hubs around the cities where these business people, like companies, hmm. go and they have a dude. Them out, like, yep, they yeah. have a dude there with all the cases and all the stuff, and people come along, and it's their job, just like the little jerks at Best Buy who go to work every day and put on their little outfit, and then they come up to you ten times while you're in there. Well, that's they say, little Oh, jokes. did you know? No, true. <laughs> <laughs> people are in a living. You're right. It's, you know, see, I'm the opposite. I find them more irritating yeah. than I find people on the street, because I'll tell you what, hoofing it around all day on a hot street in Mexico, 
or on the beach, there's lots of people walking up and down the beaches selling hats and braiding your hair and stuff. And it can get a little bit overwhelming because it's every five minutes, every right, two yeah. minutes. But you just be polite. They're not going to harass you forever. And the ones who do kind of try to stick with you, you just be polite. And then if you do change your tone and you finally say, no, thank you, and look at them in the eye, they're just a person, they get it. They're going to leave you alone. They're not going to get violent on you. No, I mean, you don't want to be, I don't care what city you are in the whole entire world, Mexico, France, England, downtown New York City, doesn't matter. You don't want to be alone at night with someone harassing to sell you some shit, right? right? It doesn't matter where you are. So just be mindful, but don't be rude. They live there. It's their country, and you are treading on their land. You know what I'm saying? That's how I felt, anyway. So, what's another interesting aspect was... It was a lot of variety. Like I said, we went in the city. She lived in a community that's not a big city area. Um, but then she also took me to a little town called Boca and then a little town called uh, Valle de Banderos. Boca, it says that on that wall hanging in there, doesn't it? Yep, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And these are like up in the jungle. Oh, we flew over the jungle where the movie Predator was made, which is there. And so there's a movie related. Part. You can yes, you can even go there, and they have like one of the helicopters, and they have like a site that you can go to, and they'll explain it. I wasn't that interested. I told her, she's like, "Do you want to go up there?" And I said, well, "I feel like I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie about fifty times, and I love it. I don't know why. I just love it. No, I love it too. So in my I mind, I'm like, I don't think I want to crack that. You know, I like it. Just right. haven't seen the movie. We also went past on the road. Um, the place where they made uh, Night of the Iguana, Elizabeth Taylor, and we went to a park where they have a statue of John Huston, who directed Night of the Iguana, and they have this park dedicated to him because I guess he went there and lived hmm. and brought, you know, kind of a trendy Hollywood kind of thing happening in this one little community. So that was cool. I think just seeing everything through my mom's eyes was interesting because she's just wide-eyed about everything even though she's been going for seven years and i think minus the cultural differences that we all have and there are some you know obviously even from town to town in the same state we've all got our own but people are the same everywhere yeah they go to work or they try to make money for their family they have families they do their thing everybody eats everybody you know, to some degree has technology or strives for something. And everywhere you turn, even in the poor places, we went to some places that were pretty, I don't I don't want to say poor. My mom says poverty, but it's just, to me, it's just the way people live everywhere. And you, every time you turn around, all of a sudden you see somebody with a brand new cell phone and an iPod in their pocket, even though they might be one of those people who are coming up to you and trying to sell you shrimp on a skewer and... But in their pocket, you'll see, or they flip out their brand new iPhone, or, you know, you just see signs of a very mix of poverty and people striving to have... Which you would in New York City. Exactly. And that's what I kept trying... They, Mom and Jack, they're just like, it's just wonderful here. It's just so different here. People are so different here. And I realize those two people have had pretty extensive lives, right? Pretty long lives. They've been around. And yet I felt like they're a little sheltered if they think that that little nucleus 
is different than anywhere else in the whole world because I feel like if I went to India or China or England or the Ukraine or Canada, anywhere I go, you're going to find the same concept. People living, working, eating, celebrating, friendly, yeah. not friendly. You know, my mom thinks everyone there is friendly and happy. And no. I, I walk down the well, there's no gauntlets where it's like just stall after stall after stall of them selling t-shirts and bags and handmade things and art and whatnot. And not all those people are happy. You know, it's a hot job. It's could be very boring. You know, we didn't run. I met a lot of people who were extremely friendly and really welcoming and very generous, you know, like um, Osafina, who was like the cleaning lady, which I find really uncomfortable, to be honest, who came to clean the house. So I ended up having a big, long conversation with her. She didn't speak any English and I don't speak any Spanish. But somehow we got around to the subject of Mi esposa es britannica. That's Love what I actually. said to her. Correct, exactly. (laughs) Exactly, but we understood. I said, Mi esposa es Britannica. She says, Ah, mi esposa, whatever. And she says, It's Turk. And, you know, he's Turkish. And then I said, "Mm, I I put up my finger like, Uno esposa was uh, Turk. And then Jack comes in there and he didn't know what we were really talking about. And he goes, like, Oh, American man, macho. And he kind of walked away. And Osefina kind of looked at him over her shoulder, and she looked at me, and she smiled, and she kind of leaned over, and she goes, Americano, not macho. <laughs> like, <laughs> Americans are not macho. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. But, you know, so that was really, and we were talking, and she was really, I don't know, it was, it's, language is a weird thing. This, I think, is the number one thing I got out of it. You and I are talking. People are listening to me talk right now. All I'm doing is making a bunch of sounds with my mouth, my tongue, my throat. You know, I'm putting them all together, and you understand these sounds. So you understand what I'm saying. I don't understand the word you're saying. <laughs> but then someone like Osefina, she went on and on, and she was talking about something, 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 and it was just sounds coming out of her mouth, and I I couldn't... It can. It's like it can be put you worlds apart and make you afraid of the person or make you leery of someone because you don't know what... I think a lot of people... Um, I know I've heard people at work when we've had cleaning people who are Mexican and they would be talking amongst themselves and the people at work say shit like, you're an American now, you better speak English, you know, and the reason they feel that way is they don't know what's being said. Right. And all it is, is that they, and they could, yeah, they could be talking about their favorite movie, but it makes you, in some people's minds, it makes them paranoid. And to me, it's like, it's like a wonder that all over this world, on this planet, in the 21st century, we still have such diverse languages that two, two people can come together and have exactly the same thing to say to each other. Like, my favorite movie is this, and you might agree with me, but there's a brick wall between us, and it's just sounds that we're making. But if you do the charade thing enough, and you listen well enough, and you watch, you can kind of connect with the person beyond the language. I know that sounds really boring, I mean, like, overused, but it's so true. Oh, yeah, totally. And that, I really love that. Now, it did inspire me to learn more Spanish, which, you know, it might fade, but it's just lovely when you do grasp onto a few words, and then you turn to somebody, and you can communicate with them, even on the most basic level, like to ask for a glass of water or ask if somebody if they have a bag of sugar and all of a sudden they understand you and you're like, Woo, that's awesome, you know, like I just felt like 
So let's get on to the food. Ah. Why, any Because you're not really told me. Any interesting food? Uh, interesting food. Well, you know that for the past year we have not been eating meat. Except for a few bites of chicken here and there and a couple pieces of fish. I haven't had any red meat, no pork for over a year. I haven't had any red meat. Nope. Uh, no, because we just had it at the beginning no. of the year and that was of last year. But I thought when I go to Mexico, my parent and my mother, you know, they eat whatever. And I'm like, you know, it's not an ethical issue for me. It's not like a political issue. It's just been that we wanted to cut out the fat and maybe some of the inflammatory, for me, maybe working on the pain issue or whatever. But I thought, eh, what the hell? I'm going to Mexico. I want to experience things. Well, two of my mother's favorite foods in Mexico are uh, tongue tacos, which is a dude... At a grill on the side of the street in Puerto Vallarta when we got off the bus, kind of in a back alley with a big grill and all these condiments and stuff and this meat on the grill that he's chopping and kind of uh, moving around with the spatulas and stuff. And then he has like homemade tortillas and then like some condiments, onions, tomatoes and whatnot to throw on with it. Throws your little meat on there. She ordered trace uh <laughs> you know, so we go over to the side, and I'm like, okay, first meat that I've had in over a year, and it's really good. I mean, I was totally, I'm, you know, I put it in my mind. A lot of people ask me at work, oh, aren't you afraid to eat anything? And why would you eat that? And I think it's not killing them. And if I end up getting a bug or getting sick from it, lesson learned. You know, mm-hmm. you, you got to live. Sometimes I didn't get sick once. I haven't had diarrhea. I didn't drink the water. No one drinks the water there. Everyone drinks bottled water. Locals, everybody. I didn't have anything. Nothing bad at all. Didn't get one single anything. It was awesome. Well, that might not happen to you, though. No, no, no. I'm just saying, though, I kept my mind open. And then, okay, we had the tongue taco. And to be honest, the tongue, I think it's mixed with some other meat. I'm not sure what. It tasted really good. Kind of a delicate liver, organ-y flavor. Because you like liver or kidneys. It had that kind of flavor, but real hint of it. But it was good. And they put a tiny bit with loads of onion and cucumber and tomato and uh, pick of the gao, you know, with some jalapeno and stuff in there. And it was really good. And then I had like a fish empanada, which was, you know, it's like this dough that they fill with something and then they deep fry it real quick. And that was really good. So with fish. It's like this ground up, um, I think mom said it was mahi-mahi. So it's kind of a sturdy fish, but it's ground up and that also has uh, like cabbage and almost the inside was like the inside of a spring roll when you get Chinese right. food. But then they deep fry it real quick and it was really good. And then we had uh, cabeza, I think that's how you say it, tacos. That is head meat, which means they boil the Hi, head. Geez. No. They boil the head till the meat falls off and then they chop it all up on the grill and they put onions and that stuff in disgusting. it. And it tasted really good as well. It just tastes like meat. I mean, it just tastes like beef, you know, like right. ground beef. Right. But that was really good. Part of why these things taste good is it's the atmosphere. We're sitting at a table in plastic cheap chairs, which I'm convinced now are all over this planet. Those, yeah, white, those white ones. Yep, that, exactly. Yeah. They're everywhere. And we were literally sitting on the street. Like the tables are on the side of the street, not on the sidewalk, on the street, in the chairs, three or four tables, a dude with a grill sitting over there, chop, 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 making your taco. And that adds to, you know, and you're a little bit hot because it's not burning hot there or anything, but it's all of it comes together to make, I think it makes things taste different when you're in a different circumstance. You know what I mean? So did you just eat those things? No. No. I mean, did you go My out mom for- and I made... No, we didn't go out much, actually. Um, 
We did eat at the end. There was this brand new Mediterranean cafe opening up, and they tried to create this sort of like snotty, trendy cafe kind of Spanish experience. Spanish uh, Not not Spanish, Mediterranean. Like, um, excuse me. Um, I don't know Spain's what Spain's on the Mediterranean, right? Yeah, it might be, but it's more trendy, and like they're trying to be something else, and it was good. Like a portobello sandwich, portobello mushroom, and whatnot. And the other times we ate at home. I mean, I made curry once for us, vegetable curry. My mom made stuff every day. Oh, river chicken. Forgot about that. This old lady who has this big barrel like grill, and she's got three or four whole chickens with big skewers stuck through them, cooking them on the grill on the side of this kind of street that actually is a river bottom. And some days it's flooded, and some days it isn't. But her stall is like right next to it. And then they made some, uh, Rice and stuff to go with it. Why is it river chicken? Because it's she's sitting right next to this fish street that's like uh, a river. It actually was a river, but yeah, now it's a street. It's fish, though, river chicken. No, it's chicken that she's cooking because she's next to a river. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's some kind of fish that they have a nickname of river chicken. No, I'm saying but... she's grilling whole chickens. Okay, okay. And she is about twenty feet from this riverbed. That they use as a street. And it's but just plain chicken. It, um, no, it's got all kinds of spices on it. Right. But she grills it on an open grill. On a grill that might not have been cleaned in this century. <laughs> not sure. In the last, Sounds good. In the last ten years. But, you know, again, I had to put it out of my mind. Then this guy was selling these little seed things or little fruit things. We tasted them. They taste kind of like a cranberry, lemon, lime mix. He said, put them in a glass. Smash them up, put in some sugar, put in some water, strain it. It's like lemonade, but tastes better. He's like, it's better. And it was delicious. And I have no idea what they were called. I have a picture of them. And it was fantastic. It tastes, uh, can't even describe it, really good. And my mom and I both said, who knows what this is going to do to us. Because she's like, I've never had this before. It could give us the shits or whatever. But it didn't. Nothing did. <laughs> and overall... I think my main favorite thing was just spending that time with my mother and having her know that one of us, because I have three siblings, has been able to see and experience, you know, her world down there. And, you know, people, if you think in your mind, you hear all this bullshit racism or whatever you call it when you're, when you're prejudiced against someone from Mexico... Right. You know, unless you go... I'm not saying I went all over Mexico and I know over Mexico. Nothing like that. But they're just like... They're just like everybody. It's just people. Don't be a dickhead. You know, because somebody speaks a different language and their skin is darker than you and their customs might be a little bit different. You know, if you think you're better than them, you're full of shit. Because they're just like... Everybody's the same. Everybody's Everybody the same. Survive everybody's surviving in this world now... And I told you the story before we did this, that my, when my mom was going to Mexico, someone said to her, oh my God, Sandra, did you know that somebody was killed, a yeah. man was killed in Mexico last week or something? And my mom said, I didn't even know how to respond except to say, well, how many people were killed in America yesterday? Yeah, like, what are you talking about? But that person was sincerely saying, because she heard of one murder it's in very Mexico. Dangerous. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't go there. So, you know... I, I My philosophy of traveling to different countries or anywhere is keep your head about you. Don't be afraid, but don't be stupid. You know? Don't be stupid because I wouldn't go to New York City and walk around or Chicago or L.A. and walk into an unfamiliar place in the middle of the night on my own 
or even here in this town, there are places. No. I, and we live in a 50,000 people town. But people get in their minds these ideas that, you know, it's crazy. I say go for it. When you get it to end, my round trip, because I didn't have to pay for my boarding and my food, was $377 for two plane tickets. That's four plane rides, which was fantastic. When I got back here, uh, I had my sandals on, and as I was walking to my car, I had to tread through the snow. <laughs> so yeah, I had my shorts cold. and my sandals on, and I was just as happy to be driving in the snow as I was to be sitting on the beach because I love my life, and no matter where I go, it's always going to be better to come home than it is to be away. So that's the end of my story. Is that the is that the uh, proverb? The um, <laughs> that's the moral of the, the moral story. Of the tale. <laughs> Although I didn't miss some things, I did not miss television. I didn't miss my computer really. Didn't really, I can, and some people will laugh and say, oh, yeah, right. But truly, I, I didn't think about it every day. I didn't worry about it. Didn't even think about it. Except for not communicating with you. That was the only thing that was a little awkward. But even then, you know, I knew I could always walk down the street to any one of three internet cafes, walk inside and spend 75 cents for half an hour. Right. To sit at the computer. So, it was awesome. I'm ready to go somewhere else. So, Mexico stories, is that is that the... I think so. Uh, I mean, there's lots of individual stories, but if you want to see my pictures, they're going to be posted in the next I was going week. To say, that's, we're at the one hour and ten minutes, Perfect. so that's like how long our podcast always lasts, for some reason. I never talk so much and had you actually listening to me. Usually you just ignore what I say. <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very nice thing to say about me. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, you probably got more stories that you could probably tell over the weeks. Sure. You, they'll come... To you. Of course. Other things. So um, I want to remind you about the website, sayschoolie.com, sidtalk.com. You can catch us both on twitter.com, uh, sidtalk or ascully. Um, you can catch us on Facebook, Xbox Live, PlayStation Network. You can send me a friend yeah. request on Facebook, but uh, be sure and say on there something about yeah. after the show or ascully.com or Don't something say, so um, I know who you are. Otherwise you'll think you're just a Mafia Wars player or something. And I do not accept those. Um, you can catch this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, the Zoom Marketplace, or just go to ascully.com and click on the word podcast and subscribe any way you like. I'll listen to them on the page. We're at number 111. Next week, um, <clears throat> you can email feedback to me, sorry, at ascully.com. Uh, don't bother e- emailing Sidtalk because she will not reply. Um, next week is the Oscars, next Sunday. But because we don't have cable television anymore, <laughs> that's not a problem, by the way. We will do our podcast as normal, and uh, then the week after we will talk about, you know, what we like, what we thought about the Oscars. Because we'll see it delayed. Sure. Um, so next week isn't an Oscar show for us. That's good. But the week after will be. So we'll be uh, a week late. Um... <laughs> You know, unfashionably late. <laughs> so uh, I want to say thank you for listening, and your Mexico stories were interesting, and the Matt Damon movie, The Informant, highly recommended. Highly. So stay classy, Matt Damon. And think for yourself. Don't let other people tell you how to think about anybody or any place until you go there for yourself. 